Hi, this is Jason. Welcome to this podcast of Bethesda Worship Center's Adult Bible Study. Let's join Pastor Pat Dale in his series on living above the fray. Okay, last week we started a new series on um, uh, living above the fray. Took me a second there. It's pretty impactful to me, wasn't it? Uh, Living above the fray. Uh, Tonight we want to go into part two, but let's just do a quick recap in case someone was not here. Uh, Last week I challenged you to have God search your heart. And I don't know if you took that serious or if you just took that as preacher jargon. Or if you really thought, yeah, what? why not? Uh, some of you probably didn't because you're afraid of what he'll find. You're afraid of what you'll find. But if you stay the way you are, you'll never be better. If you stay the way you are, I don't care how together, how strong, you are meant to be more than you are. So don't ever stay where you are. People that stay in the same place are stagnant. And in reality, they're dying. Whenever, whenever the thing stops growing, it begins decaying. And it may not show on your face, but it will in your heart. Um, so I ask you to have God search your heart, as the psalmist David said in 139. Search my heart, O God. See if there's any wicked ways in me. We discussed that wicked means weaknesses. See if there's any weaknesses in me. And there are. Just a matter of Him showing them to you. Um, he probably... As God began to, you don't have to share what it is, but as God began to show you some stuff, if you prayed that prayer this past week, God began to show some stuff to you that you need to deal with. Good, good, a few of you. Um, He'll do it. You need to keep yourself on the altar all the time. Don't ever think you're at the pinnacle. Don't ever think you've arrived. Um, And He may have asked you to begin to take immediate action. He may have said, hey, this is a real big weakness. Uh, Stop the hemorrhaging. Let's deal with it. And the reason that is because there are things in your life that continually make withdrawals on you. So we're just recapping from last week. Uh, Being overwhelmed is a result of not dealing with things as they happen to you. Uh, In the book of Psalms, David said, when I'm overwhelmed, I'll run to the rock that's higher than I We discussed that a little bit. And then we talked about you cannot expect to have peace in your mind if you allow your mind to run wherever it wants to run. It's a fantasy and give up on it. Peace is not something you can produce. Peace is not something you can desire and obtain. Peace is going to be something that you're going to have to allow. In order for for you to allow yourself to develop peace, you're going to have to get some of the clutter out of the dam and let the Holy Spirit begin to produce that fruit in you. It is not something that we can produce by by our by ourselves or by our desires. Um, then we talked about in Isaiah, we got to keep our minds stayed on Him. The bad thing about having something broken off of your life is after you're broke free, you have to walk. We talked about some people pick up things that have been broken off of them. Um, After after you've been broken, you're going to have to start walking. And sometimes that's painful. We spoke about running on empty. Matthew 11, Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye that are burdened and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. We're going to touch on rest maybe if we get to it tonight some more. We also talked about heaviness. Heaviness never isolates to one single thing. It always reproduces itself. It always makes you look at other things. So you have to be proactive the moment that you begin to feel heaviness. 
Now, here we're going to start lesson two, if you will. And we're still uh, putting some foundation down on this. Do you really want to know what the real you is? I can tell you what the real you is. The real you can be seen in the way you react to things. And everybody said, ouch. Um, I'm not talking about the way you react in public. I'm talking about the way you react inside. That is the real you. That's the real you at this moment. It's not your, it's not your eternal you, it's, it's, but you've allowed yourself to develop reactions. And if you really want to know who you are, and you really want to know your progress, I know college and, and high school kids are cramming for finals right now because they want to get a good GPA. They want a good grade card. Uh, if you really want to know where you're at on the grade card in your spirituality, begin noticing how you react to things, and it's going to set a standard. And you're never going to rise above the way you react to things. That's huge. I'm just going to let you chew on that. Because you know how you react. Man, that's a whole can of worms that I'm not going to open tonight. Have you ever heard the term, you've lost your mind? Have you ever just gone crazy berserk? I know those of us who have ever had anger and temper issues know exactly where I just lost it. I lost my mind. I went off. Um... It's a common phrase that, that we hear a lot. I've lost my mind. Um, most people haven't really lost their mind. Of course, you really can't. This is the reality. The reality is most people are lost in their mind. I'm not talking about they're a sinner and they're on their way to hell. I'm talking about they're lost in their mind. In their mind, they bounce from pillar to post, up and down, hot and cold. I mean, they're just, they're in full freak out life, and they live life reactively. We, we, we talked about living life reactively, and I've never met anyone that's happy that lives reactively. You can't be happy. You cannot have peace. You can't produce a lot of the fruit of the Spirit when you live reactively. Now, this next statement is going to be, well, duh, Pastor Pat, but do you know... I know you know it in your brain. I, I want to bypass your brain. I, I want you to really get this. Do you know that the Holy Spirit of God lives on the inside of you? Yeah, I knew that since uh, I went to Bible school. Yeah, I've known that since I went to vacation Bible school. Well, if you really believe that the Holy Spirit of God, the creator of the universe, lives on the inside of you, my question is, and I'm putting myself in here too, my challenge is, if the Spirit of Almighty God lives on the inside of us, why is nobody seeing it? Yes, you may show a certain amount of restraint. Yes, you may not be a flat-out crazy person. But if the Spirit of God lives on the inside of you, why aren't we affecting Richmond more? Why aren't we affecting Wayne County more? If if the all-powerful God lives on the inside of us, it's going to make a difference. And the problem is, He lives on the inside of us. For most of us, it's in theory. For most of us, Jesus lives in our hearts. And He's got a nice little place. And He helps me be good. And Seriously, I know that sounds like grade school stuff, but that's where adults still think. The creator of the universe makes a bigger difference than helping you be nice. 
And what I don't understand is we, we have this inside of us, but yet it's not manifest. And if it is, it's very little. It's the same can be said of a homeless man that lives under a bridge. He's broke. He stinks. He goes to the restroom outside. He goes through dumpsters to get food. And the whole time he has a bank account with millions of dollars in it. The difference is he's never realized that because the moment that he would realize that it would manifest. It would make a change in his life. And it's very scary to me because I think that if we realized what was inside of us. You see, the Holy Spirit is not to make you just do right and not do wrong. Holy Spirit is to do awesome works on us, and yet, and yet, we talk about it in theories. We talk about it in theology. We talk about it in Bible study. But we're not really making any difference. So if you have your Bibles, let's go to Psalms chapter 56. Of all the authors in the Bible, I'm probably, I've changed. (laughs) James used to be my favorite, but now I I think I'm switching. I think, I think David has, uh, has got my full attention. And the cool thing about David is because he went from a shepherd boy to a king and had lots of spots of hell in between. Uh, he, he, he is an awesome story from nothingness to the king of Israel. But then he's lost so much. He, he was anointed, but he, there's such an awesome story in David. So I can really connect with David. Uh, Psalms chapter 56. Let's read the first four verses. Psalms 56, 1 through 4. L- let me set this up for you. This is a recording of David after he's been captured by the Philistines. It wasn't always great for David. God warned him and warned him about kind of things, and sometimes things were great for David, and sometimes they got overtaken. Psalms chapter 56, Be merciful to me, O God, for man would swallow me up. Fighting all day, he oppresses me. My enemies would hound me all day, for there are many who fight against me, O Most High God. Whenever I am afraid, I will trust you. In God, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust. I will not fear. What can flesh do to me. I want you to take a moment. I want you to think about the biggest headaches in your life come from other people. The biggest struggles in your life when you think I'm having a problem, generally this person's mind uh, picture pops into your mind. And so when you read this, I want you to I want you to understand that um, there's going to be times in your life when you're going to feel like you've been captured. David is a prisoner of war at this moment when he's writing these words. There's going to be times when you feel like you're a prisoner of your own life. Have you ever felt like that? Oh my gosh. And it goes on and on. You go into work, you hate it. You come home, you hate it. The kids start messing with you, you hate it. Uh, You get the bills, you hate it. And sometimes you feel like you are a prisoner of your own life. And you could pray prayers like this that, that says... All day long, these people hound me, God. All day long, they're coming against me. Um, But David shows a little resolve there in verse 3. He says, whenever I'm afraid, I'll put my trust in you. Um, I'm going to give you three scenarios, and I want you to visualize them in your mind. Are you good at, at visualizing things? I'm a visual guy, so maybe you're not. Maybe you're a word person, but... 
I want, I'm going to, I'm going to give you three scenarios. I want you to envision them, which you will anyways. I don't know if you knew that or not. Um, an escaped convict has an opportunity to do harm to people if he gets loose. So when the police locate him in a house, they call in the SWAT team. The SWAT team shows up very quickly and they surround that house. And by surrounding the house, it does two things. It keeps him from escaping. But more importantly, it keeps the threat in a secured location. Are you picturing that? Let me give you another scenario. If you've ever worked in a factory that uses a lot of chemicals in their process, which I did, in fact, most manufacturers have some kind of chemicals somewhere, um, you'll sometimes have a chemical leak. Sometimes it's a big deal, sometimes it's a little deal. But if you have a chemical leak, they have protocol and procedures put in place that if it begins to leak, you do this, 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 this. And in some places, if it's really bad, you, you'll call in the fire department and they'll, they'll have to secure the premises and everything. But the first thing that you do during a chemical spill is you get these what they call, I guess, soakers. And what they are is they're like big, long rolls of absorbent. They're like big big towels, but they're super absorbent. And what you do is you surround that machine with these things because as that chemical begins to spill out on the floor, you want to keep it isolated into this one place because otherwise it'll begin to affect other machines and it'll it'll start shorting out electric and it can be a real mess, especially when certain chemicals hit other chemicals. So what you do is you surround the spill to contain the damage. Here's the third one. You've seen a forest fire on TV. Now, we're not from California, but you guys know the past few summers have been crazy for California forest fires. And there's this fire is burning thousands of acres. In fact, it's coming upon a town where it's going to begin to eat up people's homes. They call the fire department in. The fire department, what they can do, and it's very wise of them to do, is what they call burning breaks. And what that is, is they'll burn a designated strip of land and burn everything off of it till it's black. And they'll go around each side of the fire and do that. And the reason is because as the wind pushes that fire, it just starts consuming vegetation, consuming, consuming everything that's in its path. When it gets to the burn place, when it gets to the burn strip, there's no more food, if you will, for that fire to grab onto. And at that point, they have that fire isolated by doing burn strips around it. So, I think you may begin to put together what I'm trying to get. What all these examples have in common? I want to introduce you to a concept that has really changed my life. And the concept is this. Containment. Containment. Let me tell you what containment is. Those of you probably know, but let me give you an example According to the dictionary, it says restricting the territorial growth or an ideological influence. We're going to, we're going to have containment. Those of you who played football, I played safety. Or, or if you're a linebacker, you have containment. You've got to keep everybody to this side, otherwise they're going to break and run for a touchdown. Containment means I'm going to keep you in a specific territory. Containment will change your life. I'm telling you. 
1950 to 1953, there was a war in Korea. Northern Korea decided to become communist, and the, and the southern one wanted to be capitalist. And it, and it got Russia, and it got America involved. And what they did is they established this thing called the 38th Parallel. And the 38th Parallel North was communist, and the 38th Parallel South were uh private industry you're allowed to have your own business and make your own money and 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 so of course we're fighting for the south and russia and them are are fighting for the north and it's a mess the korean war and they 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 it's, it's an invisible place but they said this place right here is where communism stops this place right here is where freedom begins it was a boundary it was a location and they had to fight to contain that parallel and there was a lot of, as in all war, useless deaths that happened right there. And I'm challenging you tonight to begin to compartmentalize your life. What are you getting at, Pat? What is all this containment stuff? All of us have a bunch of stuff in your life. You have kids. You have a wife. You have finances. You've all got stuff. Good, bad, ugly, or indifferent. You've all got stuff. I'm going to begin to challenge you to compartmentalize your life. Um, now there's some things in your life that don't need to be there and that's why we prayed last week God if there's any weakness in me show it to me there's things in your life that you don't need to compartmentalize you need to give it walking papers and get it out of your life if there's things that are damaging to you get them out of there don't worry about how to compartmentalize those we understand that I think but um, everything good in your life do you know everything good in your life has a place um, James says every good and perfect gift comes from above, comes down from the Father of lights. If you have a good thing in your life, it's because God put it there. So therefore, everything good in your life has a place in your life. Stay with me. I know it sounds like, dude, this is second grade level teaching. We're going somewhere. Isolate your issues. Um, I, wanted to, I wanted to show you something. And uh, I'll get Dave to help me here in a second. Um, I'm a fisherman, and I've got all kinds of tackle boxes. I just brought a couple little small little, well, I call these river boxes. And you can see in these boxes I got my lures in. The cool thing about these boxes is there's little dividers, and they keep my lures separate. And they keep them in their own little place. You all understand what that's about, right? Every one of my lures has a place. Everything in my life has a place. But something happens when you don't keep things in their place. And what happens when we don't keep things in their place is this box is you and they all end up if I were to take all you can put those in there Dave. If I were to take all them lures and put them in one place. Now I'm going fishing. Now I'm gonna go, I'm going back in the country because you know that's where all the hot farm ponds are. And, uh, Dave's gonna be the truck. And we're gonna go down through the woods and over the river and it's gonna be a bouncy road. It's gonna, you're gonna hit some good bounces. And act like Gina's driving. There you go. <laughs> Gina's driving. We're going to the pond with Gina. And this is, this is what happens with a lot of people. They, they don't have a place for things in their life. 
But life is rocky. Life is up and down. I mean, we're hitting hills and, and we're, we're all kinds of over the place. But then you say, Pat, tell me about your life. I'm a sinner. I don't know Jesus. Um, what's, what's going on? And then there's just, they all began to hook together. They're all clumped together. Now, if I'm taking these fishing and, um, I'm like, well, I wanted to use that bait, but that's all tied up. I wanted to do that, but look at that. That's all. See this, this mess? They're all hooked together. They're all tangled together. Now, when I get to the lake, I should be fishing, having fun, chilling, kicking back. But now I got work to do and I should be having fun. So, as a fisherman, this is not cool. That's why tackle boxes have separators. If this is your life, and every one of these lures is a good thing in your life, and you say, I want to make some changes in my life, I want you to look at what you're looking at. Some of you are looking at your life, and yeah, you're saved, you're going to heaven, Jesus forgives you, but this is how your life looks. And when you think about changing, you have this feeling when you look at this, because i got some work ahead of me later tonight to put this all back right, right? Um, and you know, you all know I'm kind of a little bit of a neat freak, so they're all going to be in their own place. But, but the problem is they're all tangled up, and they're not in the right place. And this is what happens to Christians. We don't keep our life compartmentalized, and we let everything just run together. And the feeling that I have when I look at this is the feeling we talked about last week, that feeling of being overwhelmed. Yeah, I know I need to make changes. Yeah, I know I need to get this thing right. But look at this, man. It is a mess. It's going to take me forever just to get to that one thing. And then it's going to take me forever to get to that one thing. Because I just live life reactively. This is what your life looks like. Everything in your life has a place. And when you don't keep things in their place, they get tangled. You remember we talked about the spirit of heaviness last week? The spirit of heaviness will never just attach itself to one lure, to one area in your life. It'll always say, now look at this one. You're messed up here too. Look at your finances. You can't hardly stand your wife. You know how those kids make you feel. And you begin to get really overwhelmed. And you really begin to go into freak out mode because you've lost containment. I want you to realize that struggles are going to happen. We're talking about living above the fray. There's going to be things in your life when your marriage is going to hit some valleys. I'm going to challenge you, keep your marriage in your marriage compartment. What about, what about this? You all know the example. If, if you were raised in a normal type family, in real life you realize that issues begin to run together. Um, when you start feeling the heat financially, you start getting mouthy with each other because the tension in the house is up, right? Um, there are enemies to containment, though. There, there's things that don't want you to keep things separated. Let me, let me list just a couple of these enemies of containment. Worry. Worry does not want you to worry just about one thing. Worry wants you to look at the big picture and get overwhelmed. 
Another enemy of containment is blame. Blame is huge in your life. I don't know how much you blame. There's a, there's a psychological term called misplacement. And what it is, is to take something that's going wrong in your life and to shift it onto someone else. Um, keep walking away here. I better get back over here. Misplaced anger is called displacement. It, and what displacement means is to move something out of its proper place. I'll give you an example. If I have a bad day at work and I go home, I kick that door open, I'm like, this place is always a mess because I'm still stewing about what happened at, at work. And why don't that kid ever pick up? Why don't you ever have dinner ready? And I walk in the place because I didn't leave work in its place. I, I brought it home. And all of a sudden, what should have affected me at work now is in my family time. And it should have its own oasis. It should have its own parameters. It should have its own uh, boundaries. But we bring work home, and all of a sudden, the kind of work day you had begins to affect your children. And you begin to see people tiptoeing out of the room. Oh, Mama's mad tonight. Don't get in Mama's way tonight. You're slamming doors. You're throwing things down. And all of a sudden... Because you don't know how to contain things, it's bleeding over. And I'm telling you, you guys know, I've told you this, the first five minutes you walk in the house sets the tone for the whole evening. And I've been guilty of blowing that up, man. I've been guilty of wanting to beat people when I walk in the door. (laughs) And then wonder why, you know, after I'm cooled off, why is everybody else so grumpy? Guys are good at that. Um, <laughs> I'm hearing some amens up here. I don't know. <laughs> you guys know the feeling. If your boss gives you a couple of projects to do today, you work through it. You're, you're good at it. When he gives you a stack of projects that have to be done and the deadline's unbelievable, you have a feeling that hits you. You have this feeling of overwhelming because there's there's too many things. You have to be too many places at one time. You have to contact too many customers. You have to do this. You have to do this. You have to do this. And it's more than you can handle. And that feeling of overwhelming takes over. Um, I also want you to start when we're talking about keeping things in their proper place. Um, if you're having trouble with a wife, your kids need to be as well as possible left out of it. Now, they're going to pick up on some negative energy. I mean, they're not dumb as you think they are. If you have trouble at work, leave it there. Don't go into work and become the biggest jerk in your department because you can't handle your kids. You've got to compartmentalize. And this is very important because when fear and anxiety hits you, It never stays on the thing that triggers it. We're going to talk about triggers later. Um, It always jumps to the next category, and everything begins to bleed together. You lose containment. Start watching your I am statements. I think think Angela mentioned this uh, in the past couple weeks when she had the microphone. Be very careful about your I am statements. I want you to start detecting them. Quit referring to your problems as your life. Um, 
There's a considerable difference in saying, my life has some problems, I'm fighting some battles in my life right now, I've been battling worry, I've been battling anger, than to say, I am worried, or I, my anger got the best of me. You see what you're doing there? You, you may say, well, that's just semantics, that's just terminology, but it's not. First off, you've allowed your problem to define you. When you say, I am mad... That, really, that's ridiculous, because I can say I'm mad, but in reality, I'm pat. I can say I'm worried, but in reality, I'm pat. And what happens is I'm allowing my feeling to define me. Be very careful about your I am statements. And the easiest thing for you to identify with is either a form of weakness or an emotion. We are so easily identifiable with those things. We begin to say we are what we feel, or we are where we fail. Be very careful about that. I am tired. I am sad. Um, I am frustrated. I am hurt. There are people that wear that banner, I am hurt. And they've wrapped their identity up in it. Can you imagine how ridiculous it would be if I say, I am so car right now. I'm so chair right now. Well, that's that's just goofy. Why would anybody say, I'm so chair right now? Well, it's just ridiculous to saying, I am mad. And the reason we don't talk about that is because I can't identify with the chair, but I can identify with fear. You see, you have a tendency to identify with your weaknesses and your emotions. And therefore, since you can identify them, you say you are them. It's very critical that you begin to change your vocabulary. If you're going to live above the fray, you've got to quit saying words like, I'm mad, I'm so angry, I'm so worried. Those got to go bye-bye. Or get out in the fray and have fun and be tired like you are now. If you want to live above the fray, you're going to have to departmentalize everything. Compartmentalize, I'm sorry. Everything. Keep them contained and watch your I am statements. You know... In reality, only God and Jesus are the ones that can say, I am. You know how many statements Jesus said, I am this, I am that. You know what, when he says this is real, when we say it, it's goofy. We are who we were made to be. We may not act like who we were made to be. We may not think like we were made to be. But really, all you can ever be is what you were made to be. All the rest of it is us tricking ourselves and other people. Um, I digress. Um, Flip over to Hebrews chapter 4. Just a show of hands, how many here, and I I hope everybody raised their hand because you're in the house of God, are guilty of not containing problems where they should be? You're guilty of letting them bleed over. I'm telling you, you will never live above the fray when you're entangled in a mess. You remember the Bible says, that uh, it's talking about freedom, it says don't ever be entangled in that again. It, t- it talks about being entangled in the Word of God. That's not where I'm going, though. See, I keep talking myself off my notes here. Hebrews chapter 4 and go to verse 9. Because this living above the fray is not a Pat Dale policy. This, this is not a concept that I just thought, hey, how can we modernize stuff? Let's look at Hebrews chapter 4 in verse uh, 9 through verse 12. There remains a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. 
Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of the disobedience. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow. And it is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Well, some of you knew that verse and you're thinking, what, what's that have to do with anything? There's a rest that's available for you. There's a rest that God promised. But the people of Israel, they weren't interested. And throughout history, there's people that God's built in some peace. He's built in some rest. And they're not interested. They're busy with their lives. So what, what the writer of Hebrews is saying here, there's still a rest that's available for you. It's, it's not gone away. It's, the offer still stands. The coupon is still good. But, well, why do you end up preaching, what do you end up talking about uh, the Word of God here? Now we know this Bible, these pages, is, is the Word of God. But do you know the word, word here also talks about a spoken word? Did you know that God is still speaking today? And yes, this written word can cut asunder all kinds of junk in your life. That stuff that don't need to be there, we talked about, you need to give your walking papers. The Word of God, whether it's through His written Word or through His spoken Word, gives you the power to cut the junk from the good. Gets you the, 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 because here's the problem with most people. We want to do what's right, but we keep doing stupid. And that's when the Bible talks about that sword that can cut between the soul and the spirit. It can cut between your intentions and your reality. It can cut between y- your will and your life. It can cut through everything because it's, it's the Word of God. And we touched on this last week, but do you remember the Bible says that even your own hearts can deceive you? You've ever talked yourself and justified yourself into believing something that you talked yourself in, yeah, I'm okay with that. That's not a biggie. That's not a big deal. And this is the problem. Because your heart which is talking about your mind, will, and your emotions there, can deceive you. When your mind is fried, I'm just telling y'all, you you don't have to believe me. You can live this out. When your mind is fried, it will affect your spirituality. I don't care. You'll never make me believe otherwise. When you're in a bad place in your mind, it will affect greatly your desire for spiritual things. I'm not going to say it's going to send you to hell, but it will change your attitude. If you if you think your life stinks, you're not going to feel real spiritual. You're not going to get your nose in the Bible when you feel like your life's falling apart. I'm sorry. Maybe you're different than me. Maybe you're superhuman. But when everything in my life stinks, the last thing I feel like doing is raising my hands and singing a slow Jesus song. Until you get to the point where you begin to live above the fray. And that's where we're going. That's, that's where God has been taking me this past year or so. You've got to rise out of your life. This is how I picture it. When I say the fray, I picture a little house up on a hill. And every, there's all kinds of stuff going on in the front yard, in the backyard, in the side yards. There's all kinds of junk going on. There's loose animals. There's, there's windstorms. There's rain. There's lightning. There's all kinds of stuff happening all around me. But if I just stay in my little house, I can live above the fray. That's just how I visualize things. There is a peace 
that you can hide in. There is a shelter under His wing. The Bible says there's a, there's a, a cliff in the rock that He can hide you. There is a place. Don't be afraid to hide. Don't think that hiding is a form of weakness. Because it's in your hiding... Above the fray, away from the junk, is where you get your store, your your strength restored. So those of you who think, oh, I'm just, he's just hiding. You're dang straight I'm hiding. Because I can go out there and beat my brains out trying to put everything cool in my front yard, my side yard, my backyard. There's all kinds of activities going on. And I can fight life, or I can enjoy life. Most of us have developed a great tenacity of fighting life. And then we can't understand about this peace that passes understanding. The reason we can't understand it is because we've never approached it. We knew that it exists in theory, but we've never lived in peace because we've been fighting. We've been fighting. Okay. So this... um, This containing the issues in your life, I want you to understand it's a process. Uh, Verse 11 there that we just read says, labor to enter into rest. And what that means is, make an effort to enter into peace and tranquility. If you want to break down the Greek, it means make an effort to enter into peace and tranquility. That's why I always tell you, where you are is not okay. Make an effort to enter into peace and tranquility. We talked about running on empty. You ain't got nothing to give nobody when you're jacked up. You, ain't, you, you don't have an encouraging word when you're empty. It's hard to keep yourself going sometimes. So we've got, to, we've got to make an effort. And there's Christians all over the world that are not even making an effort at a peaceful life because they've become accustomed to their life. They're used to that empty feeling. They're used to that being tired. They're used to dragging their rear end to church doing the minimalist thing they can do, and all they care about is getting through this life. When Jesus said, I've come, you might have life and have it more abundant. And I don't don't know, maybe one hand of people that are living a fulfilled life. The rest of us are survivors. We're trying to muddle through. We're trying to get through. And I'm going to tell you, you ain't going to affect your world when you're your little Christian robot. And you come here for an hour and a half, an hour there, an hour here, and, and think you're going to change the world. Sorry, baby, you're not going to happen. You've been given 168 hours a week, and two of them will help you, they will encourage you, but they may not change you the way you want to be changed. Pastor Harris can bring the most anointed sermons, we can have the greatest Bible studies, but then that leaves another 164 hours for you to live. And when you're not living with a peaceful mind... You're not going to be doing a whole lot for Jesus. All right. See, see, I, I keep walking away, and then I start getting on your bench, and I don't mean to do that. But we must isolate. We must wrangle. We've got to place boundaries around your problem. You've got to place boundaries around your problem. If it's finances, leave it there. I know your gut wants to carry it with you all day. I know, I know, because this is, I've worried about money since I left my mom and dad's house, right? So I've always worried about stinking money. I didn't know how worried I was about money. For 20 years, I had no idea that I was controlled by money. Why? You think of people that are millionaires to be controlled by money. You think of the really rich, the Don Trumps, those guys, you know, the Bill Gates, those are the guys that are controlled by money. 
No, I was a broke, broke, broke somebody and I was controlled by money because I allowed it to let me freak out. And if I had a low month with low hours and I had more bills than I had money, well, this feeling in the pit of my stomach is how I should feel. We think that your concern and worry is the same thing. It's not. We're not trivializing money, but it's amazing the power that it has over you. If that's one of those things God begins to show you, hey, you are really worried about, this is one of your weaknesses, is your money. Or you know those kids you can't keep track of, man. Those kids that let you down. You know that wife is getting hateful, and she's putting on some weight. And you're beginning, you're beginning to just begin. See, we can, ad- we can uh, adapt an appetite. There's people that are hooked on pain. I have family members that will remain nameless. That if they have no drama, they have no life. If I've, I've known people that if they don't have a physical ailment, they have no news. They have nothing to share. Their identity is tied up in their weakness. Their identity is tied up in their emotions. So, and it really becomes them because the Bible says, as a man thinketh, so is he. That's crazy. That's crazy. Whatever owns you, you really, in your essence, that's what you are. It's not what you were called to be. It's not what you're supposed to be. But if you let it control you, do you know that's your God? You don't think of money as a God. You don't think of a good, solid job as a God. But if it brings you comfort, and if without it you're hurting, be careful. It very well could become your God. So, what we do is we begin systematically dealing with these things. I don't know what your stuff is. It's really none of my business. But I can't tell you to take those clump of lures and say, now, get these all done by the time you go to bed tonight, and you're going to be on easy street from here on in. It's a system. Systematically. And why do I say systematically? It's important that we... I just didn't pull this out. Because this is how God unfolds His Word to us. Those of you know, we're right here in Hebrews. Go over to chapter five, and and uh, you know this whole. Well, I'll just pick out verse twelve, Hebrews five, verse twelve. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracle of God, and you've come to need milk, and not solid food. I want you to understand that. God has to meet us where we are. The writer of Hebrews here, which is very likely Paul, can't prove it. uh, The writer of Hebrews is saying, look, you guys should be be teaching by now, but you're struggling students. You're flunking class and you should be teaching class. That's That's the mindset of Christianity today. We got all, we got hundreds of people in this sanctuary and I have to know how many of you are teachers A lot of us have become lifetime students. And you know I'm big on mentoring. You know I'm big on spiritual mothers and fathers. And we wonder why. The reason we have to do things systematically is because that's how God unfolds His Word to it. You can't tell a baby Christian, now accept Jesus as your Savior. Now go lay hands and, and heal the masses. No, it takes a while to develop. It takes. It's not that God's ability is limited. It's that our psyche... 
Our understanding and our minds need renewed. And it's a process. Everything in your life is pretty much a process. Even if God breaks you free from something, it's a process to walk out that freedom. Okay, um, I'll show you another place where God systematically deals with men. Um, We know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Systematically hearing over and over and over again. And then in Isaiah 28, he reiterates this point. This is how God has to deal with us. So if God has to deal with us systematically... You guys will know this verse as well. Isaiah 28 and verse 13. But the word of the Lord was to them, precept upon precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, a little here and a little there, that they may go backwards and fall and be broken and and snared and caught. There's a whole lot going on that I'm not going to get into what's happening here. Um, the Israelites think they can they can handle anything God dishes out to them. He's like, no, I've got to give you command upon command, line upon line. I'm going to I want to take you to this place. And they're like, oh, we can do that. He's like, okay, I'll let I'll let you guys be prisoners and in bondage, and I'll send somebody else to teach you line upon line, precept upon precept. Why is it important? Let me ask you this. Line upon line. Have you ever known a verse for a long, long time, and all of a sudden you read it, and you're like, wow, that makes sense to me. Because over here in the Bible it says this, and yeah, that makes sense, because then over in this part of the Bible I remember that verse, and they start coming together, and, and they kind of substantiate each other, even though they're isolated, and they back each other up. That's what line upon line means. Let me tell you what it means in Hebrew. Y'all stay with me for one second. I'm not a piano player, but I'm going to walk up here real quick. Line upon line. First time you read a, um, a Bible verse, you'll hear that. I got that note. I got it. I heard it. And then the next month, you read that verse, and it, it kind of reminds you, and it has some of the same attributes as the other verse. And then before you know it, you found all kinds of places and the single notes come together and make a chord that is the idea of line upon line upon line when things come together in a as a musical chord they're separate notes but together they make more impact in your life if i got up there and played twinkle twinkle little star one note at a time you say oh that's a cute little song but if Liberace got up there and just tore up all these fans. You'd be like, wow. That's the illumination of the Word of God, line upon line. And you're not going to get it the first time you see it a lot of times. And it's not God's fault. It's just us and our brains and the way we work. But line upon line, it's really cool because the Word, the whole reason I took you to those verses is to show you that's how we receive stuff. A little at a time, a little at a time. Because otherwise our brains will just check out. We just get fried information overload. You lost me, I'm disconnected, I'm disengaged, I don't understand. But God will start revealing His Word to you, and He'll start speaking words to you. That's why you can begin to divide your want-tos in your life. Because that Word is so strong and powerful, it can cut the junk in your life. All right. So, mm, 
do share uh, about isolating things and, and keeping things together. I want to open it up at this point because I've I got some deep waters I want to go into next there too, and I don't I don't want to do it an injustice by hurrying it up in five minutes. So we will we'll stop there for part two. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Bethesda Worship Center. For more information on BWC, check us out on the web at Bethesda Worship Center. You might also choose to join us either for Sunday service or Wednesday evening Bible study.